taking that. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, and then we'll be in Proverbs chapter 10, and we'll look at the first four verses. Have you ever come to church and gone home, and by Tuesday couldn't remember what the preacher preached? Sometimes on Tuesday I can't remember what I preached, alright? So don't feel bad. Uh, I hope the sermon today for somebody will be a message that uh, this will be one you keep in the vault. This will be one that you go back and listen to. This will be one you look back to your notes. I hope for somebody this is the beginning of a turnaround point with their finances. I really mean that. We've looked at the problem over the first two weeks. Now we're going to look at the solution, how to get out of debt. And I hope that the sermon this morning will really help somebody. Read verse 8 with me, Romans 13. Ready? Here we go. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10. And we're going to read the first four verses responsibly. I'll read verse 1 alone, we'll read verse 2 together, and then follow that pattern down through the fourth verse. Proverbs 10, verse number 1. The Bible says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Together, verse 2. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The end of verse 4 says, The hand of the diligent maketh rich. We're going to continue our series dealing with debt. Today we'll look at this title, The Changes to Get Out of Debt. Let's pray. Father, we're going to look at many biblical principles this morning that you and I worked on together in my office to prepare this. And Lord, I hope that these principles will be a big help to many people. And so, Lord God, uh, uh, use my tongue, but Lord, you be the one who speaks through me. And then, Lord, help each one here to have ears that are attentive and hearts that are ready to receive truth. And God, help us to be a people who are under no bondage or, uh, Lord, uh, the only one we're a servant to is is You in heaven. May we not find ourselves shackled to financial debt and then, Lord God, limited in what we can do to love our neighbor. And so, Lord God, um, help us to have an open heart to the message. The sermon this morning isn't for everybody directly, but everyone indirectly can use these principles to either help themselves or help someone they know who's in debt. And so, Lord God, give us a uh, spirit of togetherness and unity in the service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania this week with a group of uh, folks from our church. Thankful for Miss Marcia Anderson, Miss Janet Marino, and Miss Jen Amato who coordinated the trip. If they ever need a job, I think they could probably get a job um, as a uh, uh, running their own tour, uh, bus tour company, did a wonderful job. Everything just went on time, on schedule, and, and so grateful. Tim drove the bus, uh, so thankful for Tim and Chippio driving the bus and all the effort that went in there. I uh, went down with them Friday, had to come back early Saturday because uh, we had a wedding rehearsal uh, to, I had to be a part of, and so I left the hotel early, early Saturday morning and drove from Lancaster Back up here, um, did the rehearsal, and 
And then when uh, we got um, the bus got back, I met my family at the bus to help them. And uh, Miss Jen Amato was listening to my sermon last week, and she bought me some red cream soda. <laughs> so you see there, if you don't know what this is, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. I talked about my addiction to this, how it got me in debt when I was a kid. Uh, but um, you see it's already half drunk, and uh, I couldn't wait. All right, It had been a long time since I had had some of that, so I'll... I'll finish that up this afternoon, but I I wanted to share that with you. One other little funny thing here. We've been talking about needs versus wants and and, and covetousness the last two weeks. And um, I was following the bus in there to to Lancaster, followed it all the way down. And we got maybe about ten minutes away from the the Sight and Sound Theater. And uh, I was uh, needing some coffee because I was tired. And so I turned off into a Wawa gas station. How many like Wawa? I wish they'd bring those to Connecticut. Wawa is wonderful, all right? And um, uh, someone said, pastor's no longer behind the bus. And Marcia said, well, if he pulled into a Dunkin' or Starbucks, I'm going to take a picture and put him on the screen, as he's been giving us a hard time about our Dunkin' and Starbucks. So um, uh, so um, this week, I needed to get out of Dodge and, and get away from distractions and get to a place where I wasn't easily reached to get a bunch of work done because of the wedding and the Lancaster trip. And so I needed a place to get out of Dodge to put my sermon together. So I sat in Starbucks and put a sermon together about getting out of debt. So this sermon here was written in a Starbucks. And um, if you've been following the series, you'll find some humor in that. You say, well, did you buy a Starbucks? I did. I did buy a cup of Starbucks because I didn't want to sit there and use their space and their Wi-Fi without... Uh, having been a good patron, so I did do that, all right? So just wanted to throw those things out there, but lightheartedly before we get into my sermon notes this morning. What if I told you that there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who have taken the journey out of financial debt? These are people who were where many of you are likely are right now, and through a series of changes... They were able to navigate their way out of debt and are now completely debt-free. And when I say completely debt-free, that includes their house mortgage. Completely debt-free. And they were able to do so in just a matter of a handful of years. Imagine, just imagine for a moment, if you didn't carry any credit card debt. Imagine if you didn't have to make that car payment. Imagine with me, if you will that the student loan was gone. Imagine if you didn't have to make any more mortgage payments for the rest of your life. Imagine how liberating that would be. I want to introduce you to a few people this morning. Meet Bob and Tammy. These are real people, real stories. Once they made the changes that we'll highlight in today's sermon, they were able to pay off $457,000 of debt In just seven years, Bob and Tammy are debt-free following the plan I'm going to give you this morning. How about Derek and Latrice? Derek and Latrice, uh, they made these same changes and they were able to pay off $126,000 of debt in just 26 months. How about Brittany? Meet Brittany. She's a single young lady. She graduated college by uh, going uh, $20,000 in debt for buying a new car. Add that to the $80,000 of debt she owed on her student loans, 
And Brittany started out $100,000 in debt before her first day on the job. But through the principles and disciplines we'll lay out in today's message, she was able to pay all of that debt off, and now she is debt-free and is saving for her future. We're going to look at an abundance of verses this morning out of Proverbs and a handful of other passages. But before I do that, let me offer you a few cautions up front. Okay? You can't understand the biblical view of money unless you are prepared to accept a number of truths that are held in tension. There are some tensions around money. We want to be very careful uh, through this month of preaching not to put money up on a pedestal and worship money. That is not the goal. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money, say it with me church, is the root of all evil. We are not here to worship money. We are not here to put it on a platform and bow down to it. In fact, we're here to do the opposite of that. I said in last week's sermon that money is an incredible servant. It is a horrible master. And if money is your master, it tells you what to do, then in essence, you have a problem with the love of money. If you can get some disciplines in your life, you can learn how to make money work for you, and you can be its master, or rather money can be your servant. So let me just give you a couple of bullet thoughts by way of introduction this morning about money and how it's held in tension through these truths. So here's the first thought I'll give you. You'll probably acquire more money if you work hard and you act with wisdom. But if all you care about is getting more money, you are the biggest fool. If all you care about is getting more money, you are the biggest fool. I've known lots of people in my life, and many of you have known folks the same, that all they care about is being rich, and they'll run over relationships, and they'll run over ethics, and they'll run over people, and they'll run over anything and everything in their path in order to get that money, and they have no sense of anything other than just being rich, and as a result, they have become the biggest fool. Money, here's another tension, money is a blessing from God, but you'll be more blessed if you learn how to give it away. Money is a blessing from God, but you'll be more blessed if you'll learn how to give it away. More about that in a few minutes. And uh, we want to white-knuckle our money and hold on to it and guard it and protect it. And someone said that if you uh, hold money in your hand with a closed fist, you may not lose it, but you're not going to get any more in that closed hand. However, if you learn how to operate with an open hand, while it may leave easily, you'll get it back. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the sermon. Here's another tension. God gives you money because He is generous. But He is generous with you so that you will turn around and be generous with others. If you're generous with your money, God will likely be generous with you. If you're stingy with your money, God is likely to be stingy with you. Now I want you to imagine that God's up in heaven and He looks down and He sees this fellow over here who's in need of some money. And he says to himself, he says, I'm going to give you money 
to pass along to him. So the Lord it represents A, and this individual represents C, and you represent B. So God's going to take it, hit money, and He's going to give it to B in order to get it, get it over to C. And so He passes that money down to you. He moves in your heart about the need of your brother, and instead of passing the money along to him, you just put it in your pocket and you keep it. Well, the next time the Lord needs C to get money, do you think He's going to give it to you? No. He's not. You know what? If you if God's generous with you and you're stingy, then God's going to stop being generous with you. Here's another attention. It is wise to save money, but don't ever think that money gives you real security. Money does not give you real security. I remember when we bought our home in Beacon Falls. We had to pretty much empty our savings account in order to uh, make the down payment on that home. And we went from having a cushion of cash in the bank to being very bare paycheck to paycheck. And you know what? My pillow wasn't quite as soft that night after I uh, sent all that money toward purchasing that home. My pillow was a little bit, uh, a little bit more uh, painful. And I tossed and turned a little bit more. You know why? Because money on some level for all of us is a security blanket if you have some in the bank. Uh, but um, how many of you know that God can take all of it away from you in an instant if He so chooses to do so? You understand that? If you don't understand that, read the book of Job. He took all of the money away from Job in, in just a couple of hours time or less. And so uh, money is something that may offer you some sense of security, but don't believe it is your real security. One more tension here about money. Wealth is more desirable than poverty. But wealth is not as good as righteousness, humility, wisdom, good relationships, and the fear of the Lord. Those five things cannot be bought with money. You can have all the money in the world and have no humility. You can have all the money in the world and have no righteousness. You can have all the money in the world and have little godly wisdom or no godly wisdom. You can have all the money in the world and yet not have good relationships. And you can have all the money in the world and be a man who has no fear of God. My proposition this morning is that God wants to financially prosper those who get their priorities right and live by order and structure. God blesses those who obey His Word and follow the precepts found in the Bible. Now, many in our culture are buried in debt because they do not have a good plan in place. They just don't have a good plan in place. Someone once said this, and I would write this down, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that is a description of my financial situation for many, many years. That was a description of my financial setup for many, many years. We swipe and spend, we swipe and borrow and swipe and borrow and just hope that it all works out at the end of the month. But the reality is that if you fail to plan, then you have planned to fail. We're going to look closely at two main thoughts out of God's Word this morning as we continue our series dealing with debt and consider the topic of change. Now, I want to be very uh, transparent with things this morning. I took a class here at our church. I've been through it twice now. 
entitled Financial Peace University. This is the material put together by Dave Ramsey out of Nashville, Tennessee. And so if you know his material, have read any of his books, are familiar with him, some of this will, much of this will sound familiar today. And I just want to be open about that up front. Um, let me just also say this before I get into point number one, is that everything that is taught or preached in a church falls under one of three categories. And I think this will help you know how to dissect preaching or even uh, the own opinions or truths that you have. Here they are. First, and the strongest uh, is biblical convictions. Biblical convictions are the things we know to be true. For instance, uh, Exodus 20 says, Thou shalt not kill. I can stand up here and I can say definitively, you shouldn't murder anyone because the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. That is a biblical conviction. Those are the thou shalt's and thou shalt nots of the Bible. The second category is biblical principle. Biblical principle is where we take an umbrella truth and we bring it down to a specific uh, thought here. Okay, For instance, uh, how do we know that doing drugs, street drugs, is a sin? Does the Bible say, thou shalt not do street drugs? It does not say that. But the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 6 that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, that you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body uh, and your spirit which are God. So we know that our bodies belong to the Lord. Hence, we should not destroy them by putting drugs in them. So so that is a biblical principle. We're going to be looking at biblical principles. And without any comment, the third category is biblical opinion. This is where someone just has an opinion, a biblical opinion, where God does not directly or indirectly speak on it, but someone who's read the Bible and has developed what they believe to be the heart of God has some opinions. And uh, when we give opinions, we should state them as such. So we're going to look at some biblical principles about money this morning. Number one, number one, notice we must establish our priorities. We must establish our priorities. A long time ago, I heard someone say that when it comes to your life, you should prioritize and eliminate. What does that mean? That means that you uh, come up with a list of things you want to get done and you eliminate those things you don't have time for or uh, maybe that uh, shouldn't uh, matter. Okay. So, for instance, each day when I come into my office, the very very first thing I strive to do is uh, take out my to-do list app on my computer and write down uh, or type up all of the things I need to do and then I place them in order from most important to least important and then at 5 or 6 o'clock, or 7 o'clock, whenever I decided it's time to go home for the day, those items at the bottom of the list I didn't get to, they get eliminated or they get moved to the next day. How many of you understand this thought that the flesh wants to do the things that are the least important first and the most important last? How many of you understand that? And so uh, I sit down and I come up with eight or nine things that I need to do. And for some reason, the three things that I need to do the most, I end up typing up last. And then I have to move them up to the top of the list and then force myself to do them by character because my flesh just doesn't really want to do them. So what is the very first priority when it comes to our finances? The reality is we all already know the answer. Uh, but uh, how many of you have seen the example of the jar and how do you maximize the space in the jar. You put the big rocks in first. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
You've heard this before. The rest of you never heard this. Then listen intently. You put the big rocks in first, and then you put the pebbles in second, and then you put the sand in third. Now you have a jar filled with big rocks, pebbles, and sand. You say, well, surely that jar is full. No, it's not. You put the water in last. And now you have a jar that has no air in it. How many of you never heard that before? you got to raise your hand to one or the other, folks. All right, Either you have or haven't heard it, okay? All right. And so, work with me here, okay? So, uh, uh, listen, listen, listen. Uh, we have to put the big rocks of our financial spending in first. How many of you understand that if you don't pay your mortgage and prioritize your mortgage, you're going to wake up one morning and be three months behind on your mortgage? That's a big one you have to prioritize. You understand that thought is whether or not you you may owe you know two thousand dollars on that mortgage or whatever it is, and you might have two thousand one hundred dollars in the bank, and it's the fourteenth of the month. You know what? You better go ahead and pay that mortgage, or it ain't going to get paid. That's that first um, that's that first uh, rock in the jar. So, what should be our first priority? Letter A. Notice the priority of God's kingdom. The priority of God's kingdom. Turn over to Proverbs chapter three. For me, if you're in Proverbs chapter 10, turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you just want to hang in the book of Proverbs this morning and turn to all those passages, that's fine. I'm going to read a handful of other verses outside of the book of Proverbs. Matthew 6 verse 33 says this, But seek ye first, that's our priority, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that that's talking about money? Because Jesus began this part of His sermon by saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He also said, no man can serve two masters. Same passage. For either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Then He said this, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Ye cannot serve God and money. Uh, either God is your master, or money is your master. They can't be both, because they're diametrically opposed one to the other. And so, if God is your priority, Money is not your priority. And so we are to prioritize God's kingdom with our finances. Look at Proverbs 3. Look at verse number 9. It says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. It's God that gives you strength each morning that you turn into work and then you turn that work into cash. And if God did not give you strength, then you could not have any money. You understand that? You eat food and you sleep. As a result, you have mental strength and you have physical strength. Those are gifts from God. Where do you get the food? You get the food from the ground. Well, how did that grow out of the ground? Well, there's this big ball of energy in the sky called the sun that causes the food to grow. You And God is the one that put that there. And so, uh, uh, how do you breathe? Well, God put oxygen in the air for you to breathe. And so, you get the strength from God in order to go to work. And so, you 
you turn strength into cash, and that cash is to be used in order for the kingdom of heaven. So God does not only want your talents and your time, He wants your treasure. God honors you daily with the strength to earn the income to provide for your needs. If you will honor Him with the substance of you, the first fruits of your increase, then He'll make sure your barns are filled with plenty and that you'll, your presses will burst out with new wine. Before I move on to letter B, I had said early on in this series that this was not going to be a series that, that revolved around tithing. And I'm going to hold to that. My goal in preaching this series is not to increase how much you give to the church. My goal in preaching this series is to help those of you shackled to debt break free of debt. But I will, I just want to say this, while it is not the drive of this sermon, I do want all of you to understand my heart on this. I'm not preaching this series so Pastor Lejeune can get a pay raise. That's not why I'm preaching this sermon. A series of sermons. That is not my heart. The Lord knows it's not my heart. Those that know me well know that that is not my heart. I'm preaching this sermon because I want you to live free of debt. And I know this, if you'll live free of debt, you'll be in a much better place to give toward the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm not up here today telling you to give to the church. I'm here today telling you to give to the kingdom of heaven. And you'd give to the kingdom of heaven through the local New Testament church. Uh, but, but, but understand, you're not giving to a church. You're giving to the kingdom of heaven so that the work of heaven, the eternal work of heaven, can move forward. I, uh, I, I, my wife and I established the habit of tithing on our income very early on in our marriage. And there were some lean years of income. Um, being in church ministry and being an assistant pastor, you take your lumps for a long time. And we work hard to pay our staff uh, uh, as much as we can here, and, and we really do. And, and, and we look to give them pay raises everywhere we can, cost of living raises and, and, and what not. And uh, that isn't how every church ministry I've been a part of operates. But you know what? I, I, my wife and I have been faithful year after uh, year after year, week after week, month after month, to drop that tithe in the offering plate and honor the Lord with the first fruits. And, uh, and, and we've done that over a period, well over a decade of giving our tithe faithfully to the Lord. And you know what God has done? He's increased us financially. He's blessed us. He has. As we have honored the Lord, the Lord has honored us. And I don't go around asking who does and doesn't tithe. In fact, I don't know who does and doesn't tithe. I, I manage, oversee the outcome, rather the outgo of the church's money. I don't have any window of, of sight at all into who does the giving around here. But occasionally, over the years, I've had people tell me what they give or that they give without my prodding or pressing. And people will just out and tell me. And oftentimes I wish they wouldn't, but they do. And you know what? Uh, over the dozen or so people over the 15 years of being married, uh, 15 plus years of being married that have told me that they tithe, all of them, all of them that have been doing it for well over a decade are very financially well off. All of them are very financially well off. Pastor, are you saying that if I'll tithe faithfully, that the Lord will bless me? That's exactly what I'm saying. Malachi 3 says that if you'll tithe, that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great, you won't even be able to receive it. 
Pastor, are you preaching a health and wealth gospel? That is not my intent. I am not saying that if you start tithing, that, that tomorrow uh, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the winning lottery numbers. That is not what I'm preaching. I am not telling you that if you start tithing, that you're instantly going to be rich. That is not how this works. You understand that this is a lifestyle choice you make, and as you make that lifestyle change, you prefer the Lord and you prioritize the Lord, the Lord is going to prioritize you. Letter A, the priority of God's kingdom. Letter B, the priority of personal freedom. Galatians chapter 5. Let me read Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 to you this morning. Listen closely to this verse. Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Listen to this. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5 is talking about the bondage of sin and that how living in Christ sets you free from sin's bondage. That's the context. But let me say categorically that God does not want His people to be enslaved to anything or anyone other than Him. And when we are in financial debt, we give away some part of our personal freedom. And the deeper in consumer debt we go, the less freedom we have. Proverbs 22.7, I have read this verse in every sermon so far. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Behind the kingdom of God, you must prioritize financial liberty. You can't walk around swiping and borrowing and swiping and borrowing, swiping and borrowing, and now all of a sudden you are tied down to owing all this debt. I talked about in the first sermon in this series how that we had gotten ourselves in so much consumer debt back a handful of years ago that on the first of the month we had to pay our mortgage and we also had this consolidated loan that would come out of our account all at the same time somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,700 was coming out of our account between the 1st and the 15th of the month, and that would leave me uh, in a place where I had very little in the bank to buy groceries or uh, to, to uh, put gas in the car uh, or to just pay regular bills. And uh, the family would say, let's go out and get an ice cream. And I'd say, we can't. We don't have it. Why? Because I was strapped down. I was a captive to my own debt. And God wants us to prioritize personal freedom. You know, if God moves in your heart and He says, I want you to give to that missionary over on the other side of the world uh, because they have a need, you ought to be able to say to Him, okay, Lord, how much? And if He tells you, you ought to be able to pull out the cash from the bank and just send it. But many times, we don't have any money. And I'm speaking from experience. We don't have any money to send to the missionary on the other side of the world who's living in a third world country and dealing with malaria and drinking bottle that water that's out of a bottle or boiled on a stove or, or dealing with a, a region of the world that's just, just impoverished and, and they don't have much and they have a financial need. And here we are living in the lap of luxury, swiping it out back and swiping at Longhorn and swiping at a Wells Hollow Creamery and swiping here and swiping there. And now this missionary on the other side of the world that has a need 
we can't send it there because we're strapped down to debt. And God wants us to be free of debt so that we can be a blessing to others. Letter C, we see the priority of generosity. There's one verse I want you to turn to outside of Proverbs. Turn over to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. If everybody could please that has a Bible here, make their way over there. Acts chapter 20. And verse number 35. My heart is not to pick on anybody. The, the sermons have been uh, in your face and have been direct over the last couple of weeks. And it's not to pick on anyone. It's not to hurt feelings. It, it's meant to shine the light on the problem. And today I'm going to give you some changes that you can make in order to uh, uh, move away from the problem. You could say the first two sermons laid out the problem. The next two sermons lay out the solution. So we're laying the groundwork and then I'm going to give you some very, very practical things here shortly. Look at Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 35. Paul says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said, read this with me, church, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, God made you to be a giver not a taker. That's how He made you. In fact, when you give, you are happy longer than when you take. That's how He made you. That's how He made you. Dopamine is released into your body when you give. There are other chemicals, we'll call them happy chemicals, if you will, that are released in your body when you give instead of take. In fact, everyone here today is either more of a taker than a giver or a giver than a taker. I've not, we all do both. Everybody does both. Uh, you'd be lying to yourself to say that you don't ever take or that you don't ever give. Everyone does both. But I've yet to meet the person who does 50% taking and 50 50% giving. All of us are either more of a taker or more of a giver. You may be that rare exception. If you are, I would love to meet you after church and see the proof, alright? But most of us are either more of a giver or more of a taker. And can I tell you what you are if you take more than you give? Can I tell you what you are? Selfish. If you take and take and take and take and take, and you don't give and give and give and give, then you're selfish. Can I tell you what you are if you give more than you take? Happy. Because you're selfless. You're giving and you're giving and you're giving. You know what God made you to do? He made you to give. You know how to maximize your happiness? Open up that wallet and give and give and give. And I'm not only talking about to the church. You give to a brother in want. You give to a sister in need. Uh, you give and you give and you give. Um, uh, I remember in Bible college when I would need a ride somewhere, there would be the miserly crowd. They'd say, well, I'll give you a ride, but you've got to give me gas money. And I have to reach in my pocket and take out $2 so they could run me a quarter mile down the road or half a mile down the road. You say, why didn't you walk? Because in Indiana, oftentimes it's like 5 degrees outside. So you're getting a ride to the to cleaners to get your clothes. So you know, you'd have them for a class and give me $2 for gas money. You're taking me a quarter mile down the road. And it's this, I, I have to stay... Listen, you're better off giving and giving and giving. And like I said, if God sees that you're a giver, He's going to bless you. Now, um, the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth, 
They were a church of means. Their church was in a port town. In fact, they had water on both sides of their city, and uh, they had ports on both sides. And so there was a lot of wealth there, and the people of the church of Corinth would have been people of wealth, but they were stingy people. They had money in the bank, but they held on to it with a tight hand. And Paul was trying to raise an offering to help the suffering uh, uh, Christians in Jerusalem. And there were Christians in the region of Macedonia who were very poor. And they opened up their pocket and they gave, even in their want, even in their poverty, they gave toward this offering, but the Christians in Corinth didn't want to give. And so Paul admonished them in 2 Corinthians 9. Listen to this. He says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. You give a little, you're going to get a little. And he that he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You give a lot, you're going to get back a lot. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound, may abound to every good work. Giving generously not only makes you feel good, it makes you more wealthy. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11. When you give, it makes you more wealthy. You say, Pastor, prove that with the Bible. I will. And when you give to God and others, God gives back to you. Now, when I was a junior hire, Proverbs 11 verse 25 was my favorite verse in the Bible, and I was an immature young man. Now, I love this verse for different reasons. Look with me at Proverbs 11, verse 25. The Bible says, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The liberal soul. Hey, church, that's not talking about Democrats. Alright? That's not what that's talking about. The word liberal there means generous. That's what it means. The generous soul shall be made fat. Now that word fat is not talking about your waistline. Can I tell you what it's talking about? Your bank account. Your wallet. You say, Pastor, you're getting back in that health and wealth stuff. No, I'm not. I'm preaching the Bible. If anyone was a health or wealth preacher in the Bible, it would have been Solomon. You know what he's saying? If you give, God will give back to you. If you give liberally, God will give back to you liberally. Now, you've heard this phrase. In fact, finish it with me if you know it. You can't outgive God. You can't do it, can you? The more you give to God, the more God gives to you. I have been asking God to, to uh, provide for a very gigantic miracle in my life. Something I've been asking God. I've been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been at the throne of heaven every day for several weeks now asking for God to, to give me something very, very big. And In fact, it's the biggest prayer request I've ever had in my life. And I'm, I'm grabbing hold of the throne of God and I'm, I'm praying very hard to, to see if God will come through. And one of the things I've told the Lord in my prayer is, and uh, it's, it's interesting, Pastor Andrew chose Proverbs 24 
this morning. I've been quoting Proverbs 24.1 to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Hey, do we believe that, church? Do you believe that everything belongs to the Lord? You know what that means? That means the wealth of this world belongs to the Lord. So do you think that if you're obedient with your money and do what God tells you to, do you believe that God can and will give back to you? Remember what Jesus told the disciples. He said, If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father give unto him that asketh? And so here we are, giving and asking, giving and asking, and we know God's going to give to us the principle of generosity. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything. Listen to this. But to love one another... For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, what law? Let me read that again. Don't let it go in one and out the other. Mentally think about what I'm reading. Alright? Here it goes again. Owe no man anything. We, we, took, that part of part, we took that part of the verse. Uh, we dissected that part of the verse a couple weeks ago. Listen to the next part. But to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Listen up, church. Right up here. Look up here. What law? How about the second greatest commandment? Say it with me. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you know that you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're financially strapped down to Visa and MasterCard and Capital One? Can't do it. You can't do it. You can't love your neighbor. You can't fulfill that law if you're financially strapped down. So how do we love one another? Well, when we get out of debt, we can give and give and give. And we can feel the joy that comes right along with it. Number one, we must establish our priorities. Number two, we must develop a plan. We must develop a plan. Now, um, I wanted to put a lot more on the back of your bulletin for note-taking purposes, but space is tight. So if you look below the outline there, you'll see where it says additional notes. If you are in debt or you know someone who is who you think would listen to you, I want you to take copious notes this morning. I'm going to share some you, with you some things. I'm going to share with you a plan that if you'll follow this plan, it will take you out of debt. You can... Pay off all debt, including your mortgage, if you'll follow the plan I'm going to lay out for you. Now, I, I am not a financial advisor. I've said that every week. All right? I'm not a financial advisor. However, I'm going to share with you the plan that financial advisor and Christian Dave Ramsey gives. I'm going to give that to you in detail. It's going to look a little bit different than his, but it's going to follow about the same pattern. All right? So let's talk about letter A, our tasks. Our tasks. Step one. We must use income to our advantage. We must use income to our advantage. Proverbs 13 verse 11 says this. It says, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. How many of you know that money that easy comes, easy goes? How many of your parents in here? Then you know, easy come, easy go. You get... I give my kid $20, I'm like, poof. It's a disappearing act. I give him $20 and it's gone. Right? How many parents know what I'm talking about? All right? Gone. Now, Matthew got a job this summer cutting lawns. And all of a sudden, that money stopped disappearing. 
Because He earned it. And now He's guarding it. He still spends money, but He's beginning to guard that money. Because wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. You've seen the stories or heard the stories about people who win the lottery and like three years later their lives are ruined and they're broke, right? You, how can you spend $300 million that way? And it's amazing how people just, because money gotten by vanity shall be diminished. Listen, listen to what the rest of the verse says. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. We talked about how you take your strength and you turn that into work and you turn that into cash. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 with me where we started this morning. And look at verse number 4. We're going to skip the first three verses because of time and look right at verse number 4. Look here. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. Alright, we're going to look at the rest of the verse in a moment. Can I tell you why I have been poor most of my adult life? It wasn't a lack of income. I'm a hard worker. I've been a hard worker since I was a young man. And my dad, if he did anything, he taught me how to work. And I work hard. And I have no problem with work. I love to work. And anytime I've needed more money, I just worked harder to get more money. My issue has never been a lack of hard work. My issue has been that I've taken the income that I've had over the years and I've dealt with it with a slack hand. You know what I would do? I would swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe and hope at the end of the month it all worked out. Am I the only one? Has anyone else here ever done that? Swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe and just hope at the end of the month all the bills get paid. And you know what? That's how you make yourself poor. Now look at the rest of verse 4. It says, But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So now we're going to work diligently. We're going to use our income to our advantage. Your income is like a train heading down the tracks. There's a lot of speed and momentum there. And if we can put that income uh, to work for us, boy, we're going to be able to pay off a lot of debt. Step two. Step two. Live by a budget. Oh, a budget. Live by a budget. Now... Uh, no, some of you in here are thinking, Pastor, don't use dirty words in church, all right? That word budget is a dirty word. I hate that word budget, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Again, we're looking at principles, principles. The Bible does not say thou shalt budget, but it does tell us that we're to have order in our life. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. In verse 40 of that same chapter, he tells us this, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, the context here is order in the church. Order in the church. And that's what this passage is talking about. But I think that God would have you to have your finances in order, in order. So, the number one reason why most people are in debt is because their money spending is complete chaos and disorder. Here's what we do. We bury our head in the sand and we hope it all works out. And I'm going to tell you that if that's your financial approach, you are never going to get ahead in life. You can survive month by month, slowly growing that debt and getting more and more uncomfortable and feeling more and more choked financially. You're never going to get ahead in life. You say, Pastor, I hate budgets. Budgets take away my freedom. 
Pastor, budgets are hard to keep up with and they've never worked for me. And here's what I'd say to that. Until you hate debt more than you hate a budget, you'll never get out of debt. I'm going to say that again. Until you hate debt more than you hate a budget, you are never going to get out of debt. If you're in debt right now because your finances are in disorder, hear what I'm about to say. You will not and cannot get out of debt until you learn how to budget and live by a budget. It is not possible. You say, well, it is if I win the lottery. Well, you quit talking about the lottery, will you? Stop it. Knock it off. I don't know why you keep bringing the lottery up in my sermon. I don't know why you keep doing that. Stop doing that, all right? Uh, but, uh, listen, uh, if you won the lottery and you didn't have a budget, you'd go right back into debt. You have to learn to live by a budget. You do. Budgets don't limit your freedom. They give you freedom. Instead of being a slave to debt, you become the master of your money. Now you're telling your money where it's going and your money begins to work for you. Many people, uh, many people, uh, 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 for many people rather, budgets fail because of a few reasons. And here, let me give you these here, a few reasons. Uh, many people fail in budgeting because they're not thorough enough in their planning. I remember uh, when Angela and I sat down and we put our first budget together. We were newlyweds and uh, money was tight. We were really on a tight income there. And uh, we, we, wrote, we made out a budget. We actually did the cash envelope system. How many of you here have ever done that where you take all the cash out and you put it in envelopes? And once the envelope is empty, tough. you got to wait until the next pay period or, or next month. And you know, that, that didn't end up working for us because we forgot to create a handful of envelopes and one of them was haircut. And my wife's going to kill me for telling this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, all right? Um, we didn't budget any money for haircuts and I was being a stickler to this thing and I said, listen, you went to beautician school in Peru before you came to college and uh, so, uh, you know, they, they did, did you some lessons on how to cut hair and she said, yeah, but I, I quit before they got to how to cut men's hair. I said, ah, it can't be that much different. I said, uh, you, you can cut my hair. We're, we're trying to live on a budget here and uh, it was a Wednesday afternoon and so she cut my hair. It was so bad that I didn't go to church Wednesday night. I did not go to church. I skipped. It was bad. And, and then I took a personal day from school the next day and went and got a haircut. And I just shaved the whole thing bald because it was, and you say, well, have you let her cut your hair? No! She's never going to touch my hair again, okay? Uh, but, um, uh, we, uh, we made the effort to budget, but we did not thoroughly budget and it all fell apart. And instead of, Working on it and making it better, we, we just gave up on it. Uh, the second reason why budgets don't work is because uh, you're not patient enough to adjust. Here's what I learned in coming up with my budget, and now we do live on a budget, but here's what I learned is that it took me two to three months to get that budget honed in and dialed in. We had to, we had to make, we had to make drastic changes and and we thought we were going to spend this much on groceries and we spent maybe this much on groceries and we thought that our utility bill would be here and ended up being here and, and there's all these little micro macro and micro adjustments and you you stay at it over a period of a few months and you you increase here you decrease here you, you realize all of the waste uh, in your spending and you begin to make these changes and adjustments and after about three months of you staying on it you can get yourself to a budget that works. Here's the third reason I wrote down why people struggle with budgets. They leave themselves no, I'll use this term, fun money to spend. Fun money to spend. 
I've had this attitude of, we're not going to buy a cup of Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. We're never going out to eat. We're going to pay down this debt. We're going to save this amount of money. And we ain't enjoying anything until we get to this level. And then about 15 days in, I'm driving down the road and my car magically turns into the parking lot of Dunkin' Donuts. And all of a sudden, I'm walking out with a large ice mocha latte with whole milk. And you say, that you sound like you know that well. Yes, I know that. Well, that's my favorite order at Dunkin' Donuts, all right? And, uh, and I might even be feeling generous that day because I believe in generosity. And I might order my wife a, a medium ice matcha latte with almond milk. And you say, her medium, you large? Yes, because I'm selfish, amen? And I'm going to bring that to her and, and, and be generous to her. Hide the large in the car while I give her the medium and then run over to the church and suck my large drink down. And, and, and you know what? All of a sudden, my budget is blown because I didn't plan any fun money. And here's what you need to know is that you have to leave yourself a little bit of spending money for yourself or that budget's going to fall apart. And so what you need to do is plan $20 a month or $30 a month or $50 a month. And if you're married here, if you're going to do 20, then your spouse gets 20. If you're going to do 50, then your spouse gets 50. It needs to be evenly split there. But plan some fun money in your budget and then hold very carefully to that. So step one, we're going to use our income uh, to our advantage. Step two, live by budget. Step three, save for emergencies. Save for emergencies. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. And verse number 6 this morning. Proverbs chapter 6. Look with me at verse number 6. Proverbs 6 verse 6. Give you a minute to get over there. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So what is it we're to observe about the ant. Verse 7. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provided, look at verse 8, provideth her meat in the summer and giveth her food in the harvest. So the ant is storing up against the time of leanness. The ant is storing up uh, 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 goods so that when there is no income, they can still survive. And another reason why budgets fail is because right after you get one going, there's that $400 car repair that comes out of nowhere and just knocks the budget right off its feet. And uh, those things, maybe you have a hot water heater that goes, or uh, you have some other unexpected big expense that just whacks you, and you think, man, I can't get a budget established because now my budget's completely wiped out by this unexpected expense. So before you start paying off your debt, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Save $1,000 in cash. Go down to your bank and open up a separate bank account uh, where you don't have a convenient way of spending that money, and on payday, transfer a little at a time until you can get a thousand dollars put away as an emergency uh, account, emergent, emergency fund, and then when you have a bill come along, like a flat tire or your alternator goes, all of a sudden now you can dip into that thousand dollars and pay for it, and your your uh, your budget can be left intact. So uh, put a thousand dollars aside um, from the first and full of paychecks into that separate bank account and don't touch it unless it's an emergency. And Christmas is not an emergency. Alright? And feeling like you need to go and enjoy a nice juicy 
New York Strip at Longhorn is not an emergency. Amen? It's just not. That trip to Europe that you've been dying to take, we got $1,000 in the bank. Man, these, these tickets are on sale. Let's go. you got to leave that money alone. So you're going to save for emergencies. Number four, pay off debt. Pay off debt. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rule, uh, uh, rich ruleth over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. So there are two ways in which you can pay off debt. Uh, there's the there's the debt avalanche and there's the debt snowball. All right, listen careful here. I'm going to get technical with you, but I need you to pay attention on purpose. The debt avalanche prioritizes interest rates over a dollar amount owed and has you pay the highest interest rate off first. That is a method that's out there. That is not the method I recommend. I recommend you use the debt snowball. Instead of listing them highest interest rates to lowest interest rates, you're going to list your debts from smallest to largest. This is non-mortgage debt. All non-mortgage debt. And so let's go ahead and put the next slide up there if we can. All right. Can everybody see that? If you're in the back, you might struggle. So let me read it for you here. All right. This is a debt snowball worksheet. This individual owes Capital One a total of $5,000. Their monthly payment is $200. Their interest rate is 24%. They owe Raymore and Flanagan for a furniture purchase $8,000. Their monthly payment is $320. Their interest rate is 8.5%. They owe American Express $10,000, a monthly payment of $400. Their interest rate is 22%. They have a car loan of $18,000 remaining. Their monthly payment is $435. Their interest rate is 7%. They have a student loan of $25,000. That's what's remaining. A monthly payment of $261, an interest rate of $499. They have a total debt of six, non, total non-mortgage debt of $66,000. They're uh, strapped to $1,616 of monthly payment. Now those numbers are estimated. That was just some quick math in my office. Those of you that are math heads, don't get uh, technical on me, okay? All right, no fact checking, amen. All right, so uh, you now owe sixteen sixteen, all right, a month. Now what you're going to do is you're going to pick up a side job, or you're going to sell some collectibles, or you're going to take some Christmas bonus money, or maybe you get a quarterly bonus. You're going to find extra income. Maybe you're cutting out restaurants while you get your debt taken care of. Taken care of. Outside of your fund money, you're not going to go to any restaurants. And uh, you're going to cut all that out. And you're going to come up with $1,900 a month to put toward debt. You're going to pay the minimum, uh, the minimum balance, or the, the, rather the minimum amount the minimum required, minimum allotment on all of them except that Capital One bill, and you're going to throw all of your extra money at that Capital One bill. You owe sixteen sixteen, but you're paying nineteen hundred. All the extra goes to Capital One. All the rest are getting minimum pay- payments. And now you're going to knock out that Capital One payment. Now notice now you owe fourteen sixteen remaining. And again, these are. I understand you're making minimum payments. These other numbers come down. But just for the sake of the example here, stay with me here. Now you owe fourteen sixteen, but you're still putting $1,900 a month toward that debt. Now you're rolling over what you were giving the Capital One, and now you're paying uh, all of that money on that Raymore and Flanagan bill, and now you're going to knock out that Raymore and Flanagan bill, and now you're going to 
take all of the money you were giving to Capital One and Raymore Flanagan, notice your debt monthly payment is going down, but the amount of, uh, you're putting poor de- toward debt is the same. You're going to roll all that money into American Express, and you're going to knock that bill out. And then you're going to knock out that car loan by rolling it all into the car loan. It's the snowball effect. And now you're going to take all of that money, that $1,900 a month, and you're going to put that toward that student loan. And now you're going to knock out all your debt one bill at a time. Now, can I say this to you? I know that this is not a popular thing to say, but um, if we're going to make changes, we're going to have to do some things that are not mainstream. The best thing for you to do while you're working this is to take out a pair of scissors and cut up your credit cards. Cut them up. If you have a bunch of money in the bank and you actually can pay that balance off every month and you have paid it off every month, then you can gain the system. The rest of you that carry a balance every month, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be working on paying these, but you're going to get in a pinch and out comes the credit card and you're going to undo everything that you just did. Seven years ago, I took out a pair of scissors and I chopped up my Chase Sapphire card. And I have not carried a credit card since. As the pastor of this church, and I'm not saying we never would, but over my tenure as pastor, uh, we uh, paid down the credit card that was here when I got here, and this church does not have a credit card. We don't, we don't do that. Alright, write these three words down. Alright? Six words down. I had to count. All right. Okay, listen. Uh, I'm, not the, I'm not the smartest guy. Hang with me here. All right. Move at the flow of cash. Move at the flow of cash. If it isn't in your bank account, don't buy it. Move at the flow of cash. That's six words, right? Okay. All right, I hope that's six words. All right. So pay off debt. Put this debt snowball into effect. Number five. Step five. Build up a three to six month emergency fund. So you have that $1,000 emergency fund sitting there. And by the way, uh, put a pause on paying extra on credit cards if you do have to dip into that emergency fund and get it back up to $1,000. The goal is to keep it there and then go right back to paying down that debt. Now, uh, build up a three to six month emergency fund. Okay, yay, hooray, I paid off all of my non-mortgage debt. I rolled all of the money I could come up with. Maybe it's not 1900 for you. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less, but whatever you've been uh, 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 putting toward that debt, now you're going to take that, that cash and you're going to, instead of just now feeling like that you can go buy whatever you want, you're going to now take that that money, in our example, is $1,900, and you're going to roll it into that emergency fund. And you're going to build up a three- to six-month emergency fund. Now, without divulging too many details here, we're streaming online. I believe the Campbells are watching online. I was there visiting with them at the hospital this week, and uh, um, I, they're big Dave Ramsey people. They, they have followed this to a T. And I did not ask them how much money they have saved, but I know they're all in on uh, this structured setup. And, 
you know, I want you to, without knowing exactly what the, the Campbell, what the Campbells do and don't have, uh, or divulging any of that information, I want you to imagine that the breadwinner in your home had a stroke the way Lexton did and was unable to work for three to six months. What would that do to you financially? Would you be able to, to get by? Or would you just have to go deeper and deeper into debt where you'd eventually have to declare bankruptcy? Now, you need to be prepared for worst case scenario. And by storing away three to six months of income, you give yourself a realistic cushion of life happening to you and being able to survive. You say, well, Pastor, I don't think I could ever do that. Again, until you're miserable enough in your debt, you're not going to make these changes. But you pay off that debt. It might take you seven years the way it took that one family. It might take you 26 months the way it took that other family. But once you get that debt paid off, you're going to roll over that same money you were putting toward debt into an account, and you're going to save for the future. Step six. And by the way, Proverbs 14.24 says, The crown of the wise is their riches. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you got in order to be a good Christian, you have to be poor. That's just not true. In fact, with wisdom, oftentimes in Scripture comes wealth. And those two are usually linked together. And so uh, that's not all that's connected to wisdom, but wisdom oftentimes brings wealth, especially in a capitalistic culture that we live in. Step six, step six, save for retirement. Save for retirement. Turn over to Proverbs 13, verse 22. I want everybody to see this verse. Proverbs 13, 22. Proverbs 13, 22. Everybody there? Or the Bible says this. It says, A good man leaveth an inheritance... To his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Notice the first half of that verse. A good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children. You know what that means? That means that by the time you get well up into your latter years in life, and you pass on, you should have accrued enough wealth to not only leave your children an inheritance, but also to be able to leave an inheritance to your grandchildren. How are we doing on that? Now, you've saved three to six months in an emergency fund. What's next? Famous Christian financial advisor Dave Ramsey advises that you, should, that you cease investing in any retirement accounts until your debt is paid off. This would include all debt except your mortgage. Once your mortgage is paid off and your emergency fund is all set, or rather... Once all other debt is paid off, excuse me, once all non-mortgage debt is paid off and your emergency fund is all set, then you should begin to invest in your retirement and build wealth. And the percentage he recommends is 15% of your income going into a retirement account. Save for retirement. So that's our tasks. Letter B, notice our tools. I'm almost done. Our tools. Here they are. 
Transparency and accountability. Transparency and accountability. The number one thing that causes marital divorce is money. That's not even up for debate. I read a book on marriage every year. I've read a book on marriage every year I've been married, or at least almost every year. I, I believe every year. I want to be very careful on that. But I believe I've read a book on marriage at least one every year I've been married. And every book I've ever read on marriage, somewhere in the book, it declares that money is the number one reason for divorce. If you're married in here today, you need to be on the same page with your spouse about money. You don't need to have, and this is my opinion, I'm going to state this is my opinion, alright? I don't believe married couples should have separate bank accounts. What are you doing that for? You say, well, I don't trust him, I don't trust her. you got deep issues in your marriage you need to deal with. Alright? Now, I know there's some exceptions to that, and there's some odd circumstances, but by and large, wholesale, married couples should have a bank account that's together because you're to leave father and mother, you're to cleave to your spouse, and you too are to be one flesh, and that includes your money. So then be open with, open about it. My wife has the ability to open up uh, an app on her phone and see where all the money that's spent through our bank account goes. She knows. She can see how much money I spend at Dunkin' Donuts if she so chooses. I don't know how often she opens the app, but it's there for her if she wants to do it. Have that transparency. Have that accountability. You say, well, I'm single. Well, then you need to get a... A, you need to get a really close friend or a parent or a financial advisor and you need to have them, you need to be accountable to them on how you spend your money. Next, alright, I'm just going to get right down on the bottom shelf here with uh, some tools here. Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University. Turn over to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24 and look at verse number 3. I know I'm preaching longer than normal, uh, but uh, these things are just so important. I, I need to make sure we get them in here. And get them covered. I I hope that you'll indulge me for just a few more minutes. Look at Proverbs 24 and verse 3. This passage is about money. Look at verse 3. Through wisdom is in house builded. Speaking about financial building. And by understanding it is established. Financially established. Look at verse 4. And by knowledge shall the chamber be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and a multitude of counselors there is safety. So this passage ties together wealth with counsel. And we oftentimes turn to the world to help us with money matters. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus even commanded it. He told us to go to the unrighteous to help us with matters of men. And however, if there is a Christian counselor who has helped thousands, if not tens of thousands of couples and singles out of financial debt and into financial wealth, I think we should consider, at least consider, what the guy has to say. Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University is a 10-week course that you can do online or through our church that will lay out these concepts in a much less condensed matter. I would encourage you to go through the course and have a plan for your money. One more tool here that I would recommend, and this is the Every Dollar Budget app. Every Dollar Budget app. Now, I don't want you taking out your phone while I'm preaching, but I do want you to write that down. Every Dollar Budget app. Again, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things 
be done decently and in order. I told you my struggles with uh, budgeting. That This app on my smartphone has revolutionized my finances. That one tool has done more to help me keep my money in order than any of these other tools. And if you know where your money's going, it will open up your eyes and so that you can spend money appropriately. The Every Dollar Budget app, if you have a smartphone, you can find it in your uh, smartphone's app store. There is a small fee to use it. I recommend that you, you do spend the money on that. It will help you stay organized if you don't have any other way of doing it. Now, there's a monthly fee. I still recommend you do it. Watch some YouTube tutorials. Uh, look up Dave Ramsey's material and consider that. Let's finish the sermon with a practical application and we'll go home. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, and I've just got a couple of paragraphs left here in my notes to read to you, and then we'll go home. 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 30. Please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. I told my dad what I was preaching on. He said, oh, you're meddling. You're all you're meddling. I said, maybe, but I'm trying to help people. I'm not trying to pick on people. Look at verse Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let him glory in the Lord. These verses explain that Christ is for us, Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Listen to me, church. I'm going to read these three paragraphs to you. I want you to listen on purpose. I know you've listened a long time, and I'm grateful for that. But please give me your attention for about another 30 seconds to a minute. Listen intently. Money can't give you any of the things you ultimately need. Money can't make you holy. It can't make you righteous. It can't save you from your sins. Wealth is a sign of blessing, but it's also one of your biggest temptations because it entices you to boast in yourself. It promises to be your self-worth and promises to make you self-sufficient. It invites you to glory or boast in something or someone other than the Lord. So through and through, money is an issue of faith. Believe that doing things God's way is the best way for you. Believe that if you give your money away, He can give it back. Believe that money can be good, but don't you dare believe that money is everything. Money is a gift from God, but the gifts you really need can only be found in God. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption cannot be bought with money. But when you take a man or woman who has these traits and you combine them with financial wealth, you have a force for much good in this world. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed.